You're listening to audio from Grove Park Baptist Church. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.groveparkchurch.net. Luke's gospel narrative provides us a unique perspective as we travel around the globe this Advent. For in Luke's gospel narrative, we find Jesus described as the savior of the entire world. Whereas Matthew is considered the gospel to the Jews, Luke is the gospel to the Gentiles. We see it best in the genealogy of Jesus, which traces back Christ's forefathers, not as Matthew does, just to Abraham, but further to the very beginning back to Adam. We see this gospel for everyone in Luke's recounting the important role of women in the life of Jesus. Indeed, the particular care that Luke takes to include so many of Jesus's interactions with women has caused some theologians to describe Luke as the gospel to women. Some 2,000 years later, it is difficult for us to fathom in our society how radical and countercultural Jesus' interactions with women were for his day. Why? Well, let's start off with a daily prayer. A prayer prayed by all Jewish men as they began their day, which stated... Praise be God that he has not created me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. That's a pretty harsh prayer. Men were not to greet women in public. Divorce proceedings were entirely male-focused. Indeed, a man could divorce his woman if Somehow or another, she cooked a food, a dish, if you will, and burn it. If as time grew on and and he got to looking old, it didn't matter that he got looking old. It mattered that she got to looking old. And so if she started aging, he could say, ah, enough of that. A lot of fairness there, right? A lot of equality there. Not hardly. The Jewish teacher Philo taught that women were never to leave home except to go to synagogue where it should be noted that they were not permitted to speak. Indeed, if you were to go to the temple in Jerusalem and see its layout, you would see that there was a a court of women. It was between where the Gentiles hung out and where the altar was. So the women were not even permitted to get to the altar. Those 15 Psalms of Ascent that we studied earlier this summer, the steps up from the court of the women to where the altar was is the steps, the ascent that they believe were sung through. Separated. Rabbi Eliezer taught this. He said, Rather should the word of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman. Instructing a woman in the law is like teaching her blasphemy. 
And so when we come upon texts such as this morning's, it seems almost out of place, like an anomaly. Notice again, Luke 8. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Here in this text, we find Jesus hanging out with women, speaking to women, teaching women, treating them as equals. And it would be easy for us this morning to look at this as a, as a blip on the screen. But to do so, would, we would miss a couple of things. We must remember, beloved, this morning that the gospel of Luke was composed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the text that he compiled was compiled after he went and sought out eyewitness testimony some 30 years after the resurrection. Let's go back to Luke chapter number uh, one. Where in Luke 1, John begins and he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. John, excuse me, Luke says from the beginning, I am writing all of this. I have gone and researched it. I have gone and talked to people, people who were there so that you can have a clear and fair accounting. So beloved, you and I cannot take this as just a blip in Luke 8. It seems clear that how Jesus treated women stuck in the minds of these first generation Christians so much so that they recounted these stories decades later. So our text should not be viewed as an anomaly, but rather an invitation to deeper investigation. And I believe that investigation, once we revisit why, would help us understand not only the gospel's impact on the lives of women, then but also today and teach us how to share the gospel more fully in our society where women are in so many places in our world treated as inferior and as second class. Why is it then that Jesus had such an impact? Well, these women that Jesus encountered were impacted by the compassion that he had for them. Notice with me, Luke chapter seven. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. 
Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bear stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Notice this morning, beloved, that here we have a society that says that men are not to speak to women. And what does Jesus do first? He speaks to the mother. He speaks to the mother and he has compassion on the mother. And he, it's not just simply a compassion that is in his heart. And he says, oh, how, how sad, how sorrowful that this, this mother has lost her son. No, it is a compassion that moves him to interact, to actually have an action here in which he reaches out and he touches the bier upon which the body is being taken to the grave. Now let us remember that once he touches that cot, he's now unclean. But what does he do? He touches it. He touches it and through compassion, he restores. He restores this woman's life because as a widow, her son was her chief means of interaction with the society at large, her chief means of being protected. He restores this woman's life back to her in restoring the life of her son. And it all starts with a heart of compassion. And did not Jesus do this repeatedly? Did he not do this repeatedly when he met and interacted with the Samaritan woman at the well? Did he not do this with the mother who was Syrophoenician and said, Lord, just give me some crumbs from the table because even dogs get crumbs from the table. And he says, greater faith have I not found in all of Israel than you. Doesn't he do this when he brings back Lazarus to Mary and Martha? Isn't this heart of compassion that he has bringing him into interaction with people that he is supposed not to. That compassion leads also to the fact that these women were embraced by his inclusion. Look with me at Luke chapter 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold there was a woman who had had who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these and. He said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at him at all the glorious things that were done by him. Jesus here does it again. 
he sees this woman hunched over. He calls her to him. Now remember, women, uh, women and men were separated in the synagogue, yet he goes and he calls her to them. We can't think that Jesus is being quiet about this. He's got to, to make a noise. He's got to show that he's interacting with this woman. And so he, he calls her over to him. He says to the religious conventions of the day, it doesn't matter. I am going to embrace this woman who has been bound for 18 plus years in compassion, in love. I'm going to treat her as she is worth something. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. Did you notice that in the text? A daughter of Abraham. Nowhere else will you find this phrase. Uh, they were all called sons of Abraham, but nobody ever took the time to call out a daughter of Abraham. And he says, you are a daughter of Abraham. You are just as much a part of the family of God as all these men around here. It's something he's already been doing. And when the leader of the synagogue attacks the woman, not him. He says to her, come any other day. There's six days you could come to be healed. Jesus directs his attention to him and says, leave her out of it. Deal with me. And while you deal with me, I'm going to put you to shame. These are bold moves, beloved. We might not think so today, but these are bold moves. And we could take time this morning considering why these women felt so welcome and included in sight other sources in the Gospels. But to me, I believe a different question demands to be asked. A different question, one that goes to the heart of the matter, because the question is, why did Jesus do this? Why? Now, you and I this morning can give the Sunday school answer to this. We can say that Jesus did this because he was God's son and he was the savior of the world. And you know what? You'd be right. But I think this morning we have to go further. We have to take into account the entirety of Jesus's life. And as we do so, we must recall the influence of Mary in Jesus's life and in Luke's investigations. It appears from the text that Luke talked to Mary. How do I know this? Well, look at Luke chapter 2, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. In other words, how can you know what someone ponders in their heart unless you ask them and they tell you? Do you all run around telling what your ponderings are? Not generally, right? How many of us could wish we could sit across the table from somebody sometimes and, 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 and say, what are they thinking and know immediately? Do we do that? Yes. Does it ever happen? Rarely. If it does happen, how does it happen? They open their mouth and they tell you what they're thinking. Jesus Excuse me, Mary, it appears, talked to Luke. 
She told him about all these interactions. That's why we have such a, a wealth of knowledge in the, in the infancy narratives of Luke. But there's a problem. The problem isn't Mary. The problem isn't Luke. The problem isn't Jesus. The problem is me and you. Because 2,000 years of hearing these stories recounted every year at Christmas as we go through our normal course of Bible reading, 2,000 years of this has, has sort of whitewashed the birth of Jesus and his impact on Mary's life. We just take everything at, at face value and say, well, yeah, that's how it was all going to be. So let's go back in time for a moment. Let's go back in time and remember that what we have here is a young girl who comes to her parents and says that she has become pregnant by the power of God. And you and I say, of course, right? Let's be honest. If we had a daughter, would we believe that? Let's go even further. Let's open up the, the, not the gospel trail, but the gossip trail. If you were the neighbors of Mary, would you believe that? No, you'd be, I mean, you'd be on the telephone, email, texting, and everywhere else trying to talk about how this girl says that she has gotten pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, and she has gone loco. Wouldn't you? I would. My grandma always said, truth's welcome in heaven. Might as well accept that. It isn't by mistake, beloved, in Luke 1.39 that we are told that Mary went in haste to the country, to Elizabeth's house. Because isn't that what we would do? To avoid embarrassment, we would send her out to a distant cousin's house so that we wouldn't have to talk about it or acknowledge it. Just sort of push her off to the side. Forget about it. But Mary knew the truth. She knew. Joseph would learn the truth. After the angelic visitation. Elizabeth in Luke's gospel knows the truth the minute that Mary walks in and says hi because the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon her and the child in her own womb reacts to the presence of the Messiah in her presence. But all those neighbors, we can believe, wouldn't believe. So we should see this story of the birth of Jesus and the impact that he had on his mother for what it really is. A persecution of faith. A faith, though, that she passed on to her son. A faith grounded in love that expressed everything that Mary had been denied by her family and by her community. A faith that showed compassion 
was inclusive and valued those on the fringe of society. A faith that Jesus would would show forth as he interacted with women and men again and again and again. And truly, beloved, if there was ever a time where this face of Jesus needs to be shown to the world, it's today. For we live in a world where women are mistreated and marginalized across the globe, where they are treated as slaves, mutilated and trafficked as commodities instead of humans created in the image of God. Even here, even here, In our enlightened American society where we talk about equality all the time, a land of tremendous plenty, we deify ideals of beauty that trigger such disorders in women as in bulimia and anorexia. And while we may not use the terminology of first century Jews, women are still treated as mere objects. But this is not how Jesus lived. We must remember that this same Jesus who acted with compassion and inclusion did not die for objects but for souls. Souls created in the image of God. I wonder this morning how often Jesus heard his mother when he interacted with people. I wonder if if he's walking into the village of Nain and he sees this widow who is weeping about the loss of her son, if his mind went back. I, I wonder if when Jesus is in the synagogue and he sees this woman who can't even walk straight, she's hunched over and has been hunched over for, for years, if he, in his mind, travels back in time. I wonder if as he's sitting there at the well that day in Samaria and this woman walks up if he hears his mother, his mother's lullabies, his mother's lullabies of compassion and love his mother whispering to him just how special he is, his mother talking about how much she loves him despite what all these folks may be saying about her and him. She loves him. How often... Did Jesus recall the love of a woman who went through so much so that he could have life? And as we think on that, it would behoove us to hear a fresh or distant lullaby ourselves. One that I dare say all of us learned as children. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. 
They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And in hearing that, we should know that it is a lullaby that we should impart to all with whom we come in contact. A lullaby that says that you are welcome in the house of God and here you can find love and healing. A lullaby that is not looking down on as inferiors and superiors, but a a level playing field of love all found in the mercy of God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. For then truly, we would see the greatest expression of Advent. A life lived with hope, with joy, with peace, and yes, love. And so the question for us this morning is first off, do we hear that distant lullaby? Have our own lives been impacted by the lullaby of Jesus' love for us and been transformed by those words? And secondly, do we sing that lullaby to a world who desperately needs it by how we interact with all with whom we come in contact? Distant lullabies this morning. Can you hear them sing? Let us pray. Kind Father, we are thankful for lullabies that have sung us to sleep. And Lord, we come awakened in the turmoil of this world and need to hear afresh lullabies that quiet our soul of your love and your grace. And so, Lord, for all of us here today who need to hear that, I pray that you would sing that lullaby into our hearts. But, Lord, I also pray that we would go forth from this place singing that lullaby even stronger than we have before. That we would treat all as equals as you see us. And that, Lord, we would fight for those who are being treated as inferior. And we would tell them that in the state they find themselves where they feel so unloved, yes, Jesus loves you. And we would show it not simply by our words, but by our actions. Father, Move us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.